All right, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to open our Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin our reading in, in verse 11. It says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, New Year's is a neat opportunity and it encourages us to look back over the last year and see the things that we've participated in and the habits that we have formed. And it gives us opportunity also to look forward and say, is that really the same way that I want to keep going? I know for me, there are things that I want to do better. And there's the ways that I've decided that I'm going to focus on doing better. And so I've kind of set some goals in some of these areas that that I want to do better. You know, I think it was Aristotle that said the unexamined life is not worth living. And you know what? That's one of the unique things that we get to participate in as human beings is the opportunity to evaluate. To evaluate our life and see our direction and make changes. And that's an opportunity for us to do that as individuals, but it's also an opportunity for us to do that as a church. I like this time every year to be able to sit down and think about, you know, what's happened within our church in the last year and what are we hoping is going to happen in the church in the, in the future, looking forward to what, what, what things can we do better? What can we improve? Well, I don't think that there's much of a better place to look in scripture than in Ephesians chapter four and dealing with this passage because he really gives us a pretty detailed look of the things that are supposed to be going on within the church and some of the purposes that the church is to fulfill as a church and within our individual lives. Well, as we look at uh, the church in 2022, as we want to consider it here this morning, what is in store for us? Well, as we open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, we find ourselves closer to the year 62 than we do the year 2022. But the fact of the matter is, is that we serve an unchanging God. And even as Solomon expressed within the book of Ecclesiastes, there's really nothing new under the sun. So it really is very fitting for us as we look in going into 2022 to look all the way back to actually about A.D. 60 when the Apostle Paul first penned this under the control of the Holy Spirit and he gave us this direction that would last through the ages for us in how we would participate within the church. Well, as we look at the church in 2022, we're going to find four different provisions, four different things that the church provides. You know, the church provides some pretty awesome ministries within our lives, within our hearts, things that we need in our daily life. That's what God designed it to do. Well, I want to consider that here this morning. And as we do, as we look through this passage, we're going to find that the first thing that the church provides is that the church provides structure. It provides structure because notice what he says in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And the words... Uh, shepherds and teachers are really actually with the and there that kind of combines them. So it's probably talking about the same, the same giftedness or the same individuals in there. In these gifts, we'll find that some of them would be temporary and some of them would be ongoing. 
uh, the apostles, where they replaced Judas, but then after that we didn't see apostles get replaced anymore. We had the twelve apostles. The book of Ephesians earlier in chapter 2 tells us they were the foundational ministry of the church. The church's foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Well, as the New Testament was completed, the apostles and prophets came off the scene. And the continuing ministry of the church was then conducted by shepherds. There are several words used for pastor. There's about five of them total. And this is one of those words. Shepherds, elders, bishops, which is also translated overseers in many places. Teachers, these are used to describe that kind of office in the church. But notice the point that I'm trying to highlight here for us is that one of the things that God provided for us within the church is structure. In other words, He appointed leadership. Why? Because if you don't have structure, you don't accomplish anything. Everything requires structure. Every business has structure. Every corporation has structure. Every factory has structure. Every school has structure. Every athletic team has structure. Every home has structure. Every church has structure. Every nonprofit organization has structure. Everything has structure. Otherwise, you accomplish nothing. But you know, here's the interesting thing is that in our culture, we're kind of opposed to structure even though you can't do anything without it. Ever since the 1960s, we have kind of this anti-establishment mindset. We're always complaining about the government, and we're always complaining about the unions, and we're always complaining about the corporations, and we're always complaining about all of these things. And there's kind of, ever since the 60s, where you got this idea of kind of, you know, peace, love, frisbee kind of a thing, where let's just cast off all structure and just be totally free, which you, you can't really live that way. We have this anti-establishment idea that you've got to get rid of structure in order to really experience freedom. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, is structure makes our freedom profitable. It makes our freedom be able to accomplish things. And it's that way because it's the very nature of God. God is not the God of confusion, the Bible tells us. The Apostle Paul would tell the church to do things decently and in order And you know, one of the things that I find ironic about it is often the people that are uh, getting so excited and and complaining about the structures in place and the anti-establishment groups. Did you ever notice that the anti-establishment groups form their own establishments? In order to take down the power structure that's there, they form their own establishment to take out all establishments. And so we've seen it over the last couple of years. It's very clear. They, they complain and stuff about the law enforcement structure that's there, the political structure that's there within our country, the, the free market system, the Western civilization gets blamed for being selfish and abusive. And so they got to tear down the establishments. But then all of a sudden you see new establishments come up, right? Like Black Lives Matter. They're an establishment. In fact, after just a little time, it takes it becomes very hard to recognize the difference between some of the establishments. Because one of the big complaints is you have all these rich, powerful, greedy people making up the leadership of the establishment. they got to be taken down. But you know, it wasn't too long, and then you notice that the leadership of like Black Lives Matter is all of a sudden they own three houses and stuff too, and they're millionaires all of a sudden as well. Apparently they're not against all establishment. They just want to be that establishment. But the whole point is that structure itself, an establishment in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It's actually a profitable thing. I found it interesting. I was listening to a podcast this week that was Jordan Peterson and one other guy. I didn't, I didn't catch his name. They were talking about our Western culture. 
They were talking about the impact that it's made on the world. But they were noticing that it was interesting that the Western culture gets blamed for a lot of harm, but it has actually accomplished a lot of good. And they were mostly looking at it financially. And I thought it was interesting, the facts that they brought up. Just 200 years ago, 95% of the world was living at the poverty level. But today, about 10% of the world population is in absolute poverty. And they were like, well, what made the change? And a lot of the change is more recent. They said if you look at free market enterprise and what Western culture has brought to the table, they said because of that change in societies, people have been lifted out of poverty at an astounding rate. Uh, The fall of communism, which communism also being an establishment, but the fall of communism helped because it uh, got more free market principles operating in more parts of the world. China itself, although still a communist country, has adopted from some free market principles into their system, which has really got their economy going. And so these guys were analyzing those things. And they said that in the last, like I said, I think it was 30 years. I'll limit it to 20 just to make sure I don't exaggerate anything. They said in the last 20 years, 138,000 people a day have been lifted out of absolute poverty. 138,000 people a day, every 24 hours. That's astounding. So then the part that they started talking about after that was this Western culture that promotes free market establishments has really been the cause of all these people around the world being lifted out of poverty, but it ends up getting the blame because other people want to use socialism and Marxism and communism and things like that to control the flow of those finances. And the one guy was asking Jordan Peterson, he's like, why do we keep complaining about a system that is lifting so many people out of poverty? And I think Jordan Peters' answer was basically, and these are my words here, is that uh, people kind of love to hate. We like to have something to complain about. We like to complain about the government, and we like to complain about the corporations, and we like to complain about the unions, and we like to complain about all those things, even though they might be what's putting the bread and butter on the table at times uh, within our own experience. There's just that desire to do that. Well, unfortunately, that same kind of thing, as you think about it, has crept into the church as well. Back in the 60s, as you're getting the anti-establishment and the anti-incorporation kind of thing, then you also started to see those things kind of creep into the church into where people were not as focused maybe so much on the church, but they got focused on new establishments because <laughs> everything takes establishments. So you get your bigger parachurch movements that start to build up the Navigator's Bible Studies and things like that, which which is a great program, a great establishment, and actually helps to build up the church. But you saw see a focus kind of away from the church and into these things that are supposedly have less structure, but then we soon find out that you can't accomplish anything without structure, so we insert structure back into those things. And so, did we really get away from what we were trying to do to begin with? Not so much. I've heard I don't know how many people make this statement. I don't really believe in organized religion. And I think, is there an unorganized religion? What would it be? What exactly is unorganized? What do they teach? Well, you can't teach anything because as soon as you add teachers, you add organization. You can't have doctrinal statements because then you're organizing concepts and truth. And so, you see, you you have to have structure. And that's what we see when we look at when we look at Ephesians chapter four is that God says, Look, I provided structure 
for my church. Leadership for a purpose. It's there for a reason so that we can accomplish the purposes that we're headed to. And we're going to focus on that in just a moment. But it takes structure to be able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish within our lives. You know, we see this other places in the New Testament. We see it fleshed out. Paul took Timothy and sent him to Ephesus. And he left him in Ephesus there in the church. In fact, he tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So he gives Timothy his purpose in writing. He says, I really kind of hope, I hope to get to you soon, but if I'm not able to make it, I want you to know how things need to be conducted within the church. And then shortly after that, in chapter 3, we find him doing the same thing Ephesians does. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, which is again the pastor, he says he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And he goes on from there. I'm not trying to get into all the characteristics right now. The point is, he's saying, look, if the church is going to be solid and impacting in its community, it's going to need some structure. It's going to need some leadership. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8, he deals with the deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And so he attaches leadership in there. Why does he do all this? Well, if you look back at 1 Timothy chapter 1, you find the, the reason why he would install this leadership into place. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You see, the point is, it's already happening in the church in Ephesus. They're they're deteriorating because... People that don't really know what they're talking about are making confident assertions, statements about truth, but they're unlearned and they don't know what they're talking about and that's going to impact the church and it's going to damage individuals, it's going to damage families, and it's going to damage the church and the community that it exists within. And so the Apostle Paul leaves Timothy and he says, first thing you got to do is you got to silence these guys. Stop the people that are saying a bunch of things that they don't know what they're talking about. And then you need to take the church through a process of appointing leadership, putting some structure in place that will help to protect the church, grow the church, give them that solid foundation, that solid understanding. He does the same thing with Titus. In the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so he tells Titus, what does he need to do? Provide structure. Put what remains in order. Organize things. Appoint leadership. Now why? With Titus, just a few verses later, he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So the point is, as we look at Ephesians 
chapter 4 here, just like we see fleshed out in 1 Timothy and in the book of Titus, within the church, one of the gifts that God has given to us is structure. It provides structure. Without structure, we don't win people to Christ. Without structure, we don't learn the truth. We don't hold to the clear teachings of Scripture. We get led astray. Without structure, we don't reach the youth or the children of our community. Think about it. With our midweek programs alone, with Club Jam, after that we've got youth group, we've got adult Bible study going on over at our house at that time. Without structure, none of that happens. It takes a lot of structure. Club Jam alone, we've got to have people that are here to work with kids, helping them memorize their verses, helping them to recall their verses. We've got to have people that are willing to coordinate the games and play the games with them. We've got people teaching lessons, rarely a craft, occasionally snacks and things like that with them. There's a lot of things that go on in that ministry. A lot of people need to be involved. Without structure, without that kind, then the kids of our community don't get reached. The church requires structure like everything else requires structure. In the American mindset, there's kind of a romantic idea that is kind of anti-establishment, anti-structure. We need to not get sucked into that. I don't know where the concept comes from about, you know, I don't believe in organized religion. You, there, is no, there isn't a religion that's not organized. If it's not organized, it doesn't exist God was uh, God has been organizing from the beginning. He, he, he and then he organizes Israel into a nation. He, Jesus says when he comes, he says, "I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it." No structure can exist without organization. Well, then, secondly, we also see that the church provides purpose. Why did God give us the structure? Because we have purpose. And what do we find within the purpose? Our purpose. Look at verse 13. Or actually, maybe I should back up into verse 12. It talks about to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so what is our purpose as we gather together as a church, same now as it was back then? Our purpose is to build one another up. That's why God organized it. If it wasn't organized, you wouldn't be here this morning. And God organized it, structured it so that we could come together and build one another up, just like a body does. Think about your body. Your body is assembled. It's all gathered together. It's structured. It's organized so that it does different things. In fact, that's what it kind of compares it to. Because look over at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, "...from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint..." with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our purpose is to grow. And he talks about every joint supplying everything that you do. Think of all the motions that you make with your hands and your feet and your legs and your arms and all the things that you do and every part that has to be involved in those things. We have a purpose. And it's to function as the body of Christ. He also talks about us not being tossed. In verse 14, that we may be no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in Him. And so our purpose as we gather together is, is to grow. To grow one another. As individuals, we need to grow as a church, we need to grow. 
We need to be growing numerically. We should be reaching people in our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we also need to be growing spiritually. The kind of growth that he's talking about here is growing, he talks about in the unity of the faith, which is usually, you know, faith can be used a couple different ways. If you use the word faith one way, it means how tightly you hold to something. But another way that the Bible uses it is it talks about the faith. In other words, kind of like in our church constitution, we have a doctrinal statement. We have a statement of faith. In other words, it defines what we believe. So it's not about how hard we believe it, but it's a, what is the content of what we believe. Well, that's the way it's used here. It says that we're all supposed to grow up in, what are we, what's the goal? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of God. And so as we gather together, the purpose that we have is to grow one another up as individuals, as a church, to grow in our understanding of the faith, our understanding of who God is and how that applies to our daily lives. But then not only does it provide purpose, it also provides participation. Participation. You notice that the language that it uses there in describing the body, it talks about what every joint supplies and how when the whole body, when it's functioning together, grows into a healthy unit. There are no dispensable parts of our body as a church. There's not a part that we can get along without. You know, the Apostle Paul in other places talking about spiritual giftedness. He, he talks about how you have parts of your body that get more attention and other party that, parts of your body that gets less attention. And he kind of gives the idea, you know, you never think about your, your little toe very much. The only time that I can think of that I ever think about my little toe is when I'm walking in the dark and I catch it on an end table or the chest that sits at the foot of the bed to get up in the middle of the night and head toward the bathroom or something and I catch my little toe right on the edge of that chest. Then I think about it a lot for a little while. And and that's kind of uh, similar to the point the Apostle Paul makes in other places. He says, look, every part of our body, even the parts that maybe don't get as much attention that we don't really maybe think about as much, every, there's nothing that's indispensable. There's nothing... There's nothing that hurts, he says, and we don't all hurt. That's the way that the church is. In Ephesians here, when he's talking about us meeting our purpose of everybody growing together, when does that happen? That happens when we're all together. When everybody's functioning as they should be functioning. When every part is there. When we're all participating together. There's participation within the church. I would like to see it because I don't think I've ever seen it. I would like to see it when we've got everybody that is part of this church on a regular basis, if we can have everybody here on the same Sunday. In 24 years, I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't think there's ever a Sunday when somebody isn't missing. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that that means if you miss a Sunday here and there that you're, you're violating this principle. I think we do need to be gathered together all that we can. But there are some things that are going to take you away from time to time, maybe for short duration. But the fact of the matter is, the body functions best when everybody's there. You know, New Year's Eve, we had the the bunco thing here. And and I think we had more people there than ever before. You know what else stands out? It was more fun than ever before. It's like when, when you walk into church and the church feels empty, how do you feel? Kind of a little, where is everybody, right? If you walk into church and the church is full, how do you feel? Wow, this is pretty cool. There's There's an encouragement that takes place just by the body being present. That's before you even open your mouth and say anything to anybody else. 
But you know what? The church is a place where you can participate. It's a place where you're needed. Where you're needed. And that's what the church provides for us. Well, not only does the church provide structure, as we see it within here, purpose, participation, but then lastly, the church provides pattern. If we have a purpose to accomplish something, well, what, is, what does that look like in the end? How do, we, how do we know when we're getting closer? How do we know what to do to try to achieve those things? Well, he gives a pattern for us here within a couple of places. In both places, he points to Jesus Christ. In verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then later, notice in verse 15 it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So what is the pattern? What, do, what am I looking for to see in my life and in your life and each other's lives? The pattern that we're looking for is Christ. You know, over the years, I've built a, a lot of things with 30-some years in, in construction. And I've worked in different circumstances and on different projects. Some projects have elaborate blueprints drawn up by architects and engineers. And I've worked with those. In fact, one of the first places that I worked, King Brothers Construction out in Washington State, uh, that was one of the things that I learned from there was how to read blueprints and follow blueprints. And when you went to build a new house, they'd give you a pack of blueprints. that You unrolled it, and it was about seven, eight pages. I had a page of what the foundation was supposed to look like and where the supporting beams needed to get installed and, and then uh, what the floor plan was like for the first floor, for the second floor, what the roof plan looked like. Um, elevation pages, so when you look at the house from the front, this is what it's supposed to look like and from the side. And those will tell you things like what the roof pitches are and stuff like that. And just very detailed pages upon pages of detailed information within these blueprints. Then I've worked on projects that some of them have been as simple as a little sketch on a napkin. It's really kind of fun when they hand you three different pictures that they've printed off the Internet. And they say, I like this about this one, and I like this about this one, and I like this about this one. How can we make it look like all of that? And you start trying to figure it out. But here's the deal. You know what all of these things have in common? There is a pattern. We're not aiming at nothing. You have to aim at something. You have to have some kind of a pattern. Something that tells you what it needs to look like in the end. Otherwise, you can't build anything. You don't know where to put doors or windows or how big to make them. You don't know how big the kitchen's going to be or how many cabinets you need. Or You've got to have something to go by. There had to be some kind of a pattern to be able to make it. Otherwise, you can't make anything. And that's what he gives us in this passage. He gives us the pattern. The pattern is Jesus Christ. That's what we're patterning our lives after. That's the goal. We want to grow up in Him. We want to become more and more like Christ. So as we consider it, what does the church provide as we look forward and going on into 2022 and another year of ministry? It needs to look a lot like it did back in the Apostle Paul's days. It needs to be a church that provides structure. Because without structure, nothing happens. It needs to be a church that provides purpose. We need to be focused on our purpose of building up one another, to getting to that point of, of a, a level of maturity where we're not tossed to and fro by every new idea that comes down the pike or every new doctrine or scheme that comes our way or every fanciful new idea, but we're grounded solidly in God's Word, where we're more stable because of that grounding. We also need participation. You know, within there, he talks about the leadership of the church doing what? Equipping the saints 
which is everybody else. Saint is not uh, some hierarchy within the church. It is the church. The word saint in the Bible just means you're sanctified. You're set apart for God through your salvation. He says, so the, the leadership equips the saints so that the saints do what? It says the work of the ministry. I've talked about that many times before. The Bible uses a lot of different terms for, for my position, pastor, elder, bishop, overseer. Uses a lot of terms, but the one word that it doesn't really use so much is minister. Minister describes all of us. We're all ministers. That's what our church needs to be, a place where everybody ministers. All of our ministry isn't the same. You can have different gifts, different uh, focuses, different abilities. All of our ministry isn't the same, but all of us need to participate. All of us get to participate. And then, of course, lastly, the pattern. What are we focused on in all this? Jesus Christ. 